Today, uh, this feast is one of those that we do not normally get to celebrate on Sunday because it is uh, on the 24th of June, which of course moves through the, uh, the calendar. So a special day for us to, to focus a little bit upon an individual who um, you know, realized and, and understood the need to, to let go of self in order for the Lord to be more present uh, and for him to help make the Lord more present in the world. So it's a special day for our church uh, in light of that. Uh, it's also a special day for our particular church community of St. Margaret of York as we uh, will confirm and, and welcome into full communion a member of our congregation, uh, Charity Hornback, who's sitting right over there with uh, family. Her husband, Doug, uh, was a student of mine in high school, and Charity straightened him out. So uh, I think this is a, a good thing that, um, that we have with her coming into the church today. Certainly she's been a member of this community for quite some time, and raising her young sons here is uh, always a, a task for mothers to try to pass on their faith. And I think she's uh, done that well. So we'll take a few moments to welcome her through the Sacrament of Confirmation after uh, my homily here in a few moments. You know, Billy Graham, uh, whom I'm hopeful everyone is aware of, uh, of who he is, um, he tells of a time early in his career when he arrived in a small town to preach a sermon. And Wanting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy where the post office was. And when the boy had told him, then Dr. Graham thanked him and said, he said to the little boy, he says, well, you know, if you'll come to the Baptist church this evening, you can hear me tell everyone how to get to heaven. And the little fellow says, well, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know the way to the post office. <laughs> so, what we have here is a youngster who didn't quite have the right picture of Billy Graham in his mind. And John the Baptist, John had the same problem. He was concerned that people have the right picture of him. And I think we are all concerned as well about the image that we project in the world but for a lot, much different reason. Now John wanted people to think less of him, and we want people to think more of us. John wanted to make sure that people registered the correct impression. We want to make sure that we are projecting the right image. The issue of who we are and uh, who people think we are, has a, you know, has a very complicated history that revolves around the concept of self. And perhaps a critical point was reached around the year 1500. That's when the mirror was invented. And for the first time then, people could see what they looked like to other people. And after that time, and if, if you read history, you see, this, you see how this happens, anyone who could afford this magical reflector changed the focus of his or her life from who do I think I am to who do they think I am. 
And many people today think that their, their real self resides in some innocent child supposedly buried under the garbage of years of mistreatment. And we hear that in the news all the time. And others think that if this insufferable inner child actually exists, well, it ought to be spanked instead of liberated. Now, Jesus and Buddha. Let's think about Buddha. He's got a hold on a lot of people in, in our modern culture. But Jesus and Buddha are not very sympathetic to this therapeutic introspection. Buddha says this, he says, if you meet the self, kill it. And Jesus advises, if you want to save yourself, lose it. And the reasoning is similar. You know, if, if you can meet the self, it can't be your real self. And the self you have, well, it isn't worth saving. And that's very enlightening stuff, but where does that leave each and every one of us? Well, a Buddhist monk likens our ordinary, everyday condition to an illness. That's the way Buddhists look at life. It's an illness. Thomas Merton calls our everyday self a false self. And these are both very striking images. To be bluntly told that we are sick and false might jolt us into a program of transformation. But once we get over the initial shock and think about who we really are, well, then we form a second opinion to protect ourselves. You know, to, to think that we have a false self, suggests that there is a true self deeper down. To think that we have a sick self suggests that there is a healthy self underneath. And then both thoughts absolve us of any responsibility whatsoever. You know, an ignorant self doesn't know what it's doing. And who would blame a poor, sick self? The more complicated truth is that we have only one self. And we are responsible for the self. You know, to the degree that it is sick, we must nurse it into health. To the degree that it is false, we must educate it. Which is why St. Paul offers a better image, which he calls a divided self. We do not have two selves competing for supremacy. We are one self divided against itself. Paul thinks of it as an internal battle. You know, he says that there's a civil war going on within us, tearing us apart. And not over this or that decision, but over a whole 
way of life. You know, the ongoing strife is between the flesh and the spirit, or between worldly living and spiritual living. You know, and, and we have a radical choice to make, and we make it on the basis of what we think is the final purpose of our life. And if we think that our aim is happiness and success, we will automatically choose actions that make us happy and successful. Which means then that our relationship with God will probably be perfunctory. In other words, one that is simply routine and maintained with little or no interest or care. Our relationship with God is one then that will be minimal. You know, to be perfunctory is to sit on your back patio in the morning with a cup of coffee in your hand as the sun is rising, I should say Sunday morning, and think that that's all that you need to do to worship God. Or to come here just to get it out of the way. You know, that's a perfunctory relationship. And that then is the extent, all too often, of many people's Christianity. God does not care about our aim being happiness or success. Because if that is our aim, then, then our neighbor becomes our competition, or at best a useful tool for our own agenda. But if we think that our aim in life is to love, to love God with our whole being, and our neighbor as ourself, then we will choose actions that glorify God and magnify our neighbor. And we choose then the good life over the happy life. And then, then we will routinely, we will routinely accept sorrow and failure, or we will rejoice in happiness and success as mere byproducts of the only life worth living. And this, this is a hard choice. It's a very hard choice, even, even for me, even for anyone who you know, lives a life as a cleric or religious. It's, that's what you know, our journey's all about, is trying to get away from the perfunctory, and into the seriousness of life in God. But until that choice is firmly made, all of our efforts of becoming better people are just cosmetic. Because we are called not to selfhood, but to sainthood. And a saint is one who has lost his or herself in 
God's self. Like John the Baptist, we are to want people to think less of us and to think more of Christ. Our self-image and the, the image we project are to be one and the same. We are to decrease so that Christ may increase. We are to become less so that we may become more in all that we do.